0: Good morning everybody, it's good to be with you, it's like being at home at last, um, but this morning I want to read from Psalm 27, so if you have your Bibles, will not you please turn to Psalm 27, and we're going to be reading two verses, verse 4 and verse 8 this morning, and uh, Lord, as we do so, we want to remember what you said to Samuel When you were putting the future king before him, you said to him, Lord, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so, God, we want to come before you as a church this morning. We want to look as you look. We want to see as you see this morning. And I pray that this morning would be a life-changing word, Lord, for those here. I pray this morning we would not leave this place without the strong calling of the Spirit of God. That God, this morning, we might leave this place knowing what is on your heart, the purpose of living, Lord, the purpose of enjoying you, the purpose of salvation, the purpose of this church. And we pray for this, Lord, this morning. We ask for your grace just to sprinkle every word with the blood of Jesus, that you'd help me say only what you want me to say, Lord, and keep me from saying what I mustn't, that this morning, your kingdom might come in this place, we pray. Amen. So, I ask you a question this morning. What is the one thing you're asking God for in 2018? I ask you this morning because I'm sure that there are many things on your mind. Some of you might be <clears throat> having a, a number of urgent requests this year, 2018 might not be looking as rosy. As what uh, we would like it to be, but this morning I want to open up a man's heart called David to you, and I want to show you that this man's heart showed one thing. He was after one thing, and it comes in Psalm twenty-seven verse four. If you had to ask David anything, he he said this. This is one thing he would ask of the Lord. This is one thing I've asked of the Lord that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now this morning, I'm, comp- I'm compressing two sermons into one, and as you know for me, that's quite a difficult thing to do. But I want to say this morning, David's request is one that comes not in a moment where things are going well for David, In actual fact, this is before he was ever made king. This was before God's word had been proven true to David. He wasn't saying this from a palace. In actual fact, it was the lowest moment in David's life. He had no job. He had men hunting him. They were trying to kill him. They were walking around, hunting him in this area in the south of Israel, which had a bunch of caves. David was hiding in caves. He was on the run from this man called Saul. Saul. No money, no job, no security, and perhaps the most difficult of all was that the promise of God to say, David, you're going to be the future king, was so far away from David. And so if David could have asked God for anything, he could have asked God for a lot. And I never saw this before. This is a very famous verse. But in actual fact, David, despite all of these things, says there is one thing his heart is after. I ask you this morning, if God delays or doesn't act in the way you want him to in 2018, will he himself be enough for you? You see, in essence, David is saying in this cry of his heart, he's saying, God, I'm willing to forego the answers and the outcomes of all these things if I can just have you. You see, guys, David discovered something about God that is available to you and me this morning. He discovered that this God of the Bible is a personal God, that he can be known. And entering into knowing this God, experiencing his presence, drawing close to him, hearing his voice in his life was something that David lived off. It was something that sustained him. And if you notice in the first verse of this Psalm 27, he says, The Lord himself is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It doesn't say the Lord gives me light or the Lord gives me salvation. He says, He himself. In him I find the light I need and the salvation for my feet. He is the stronghold of my life. David discovered that this God could be known experienced, tasted, seen, and this pursuit of a living God and his presence in David's life was his mission. I ask you, do you know what I'm talking about this morning? And Psalm 27 verse 4 is a response to what God has said to David in verse 8. God says, David, seek my face. And David responds, My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. The amazing thing about this verse in verse 8 is when God says to David, Seek, it is plural. It means that this invitation is going out to every single person in this building. Does not matter the level of your intellect, does not matter where you have come from. Does not matter even, even yesterday, maybe the hour before you walked into this place, you committed some horrendous sin. Does not matter how you feel or where you think you are before God this morning, this invitation is plural. It is for anybody who will respond. And it is this God's invitation to the world and to you this morning, Ridge is will you seek his face? But the problem is this. Although God is saying to you and to me this morning, I am making myself open to you to be known, the problem is not our head in understanding that God is willing to make himself known and for you to discover how close you can get to him. The problem is our hearts. Notice what David says in response to this call that's gone out saying, seek my face, David says, it is my heart. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And I put it to you this morning, guys. It is not the lack of understanding in this place that stops you from pursuing God. It is the state of your heart before him. And in my first sermon, which I don't have the luxury of unpacking now, I looked at how the heart is the seat of affection and desire and passion. And the Bible groups all these things together and calls it worship. And the problem is your heart and mine, it is so fickle. It runs after things and attaches itself to things other than God. And Jesus put it like this. He said, no man can serve two masters because he he'll loves he love one more than the other. In other words, your heart only has capacity to love One thing at a time. And the problem is this. Is your heart and mind, your heart and mind, runs after things other than God. And our affection and our desire and our passion attaches itself to things other than Him. And so this morning, this sermon is going to be so boring for you. It's going to seem like it's going to be something that's going to go over your head unless... When this call goes out and says, Ridge, God's invitation to you in 2018 until the rest of your days is to know him, is to see him face to face, what will determine your responses where your heart is? And Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, we have to guard our hearts for everything we do flows from it. We have to train our affection upon Jesus. And David puts it like this He says in Psalm 139, verse 23, He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. What God is interested in this morning is not how you raised your hands. What he's interested in this morning is not how flashy the worship was or how many people are here in this building or what the level of our finances are. What God is interested in in your life and mine is where's your heart? Because he knows if you've got your heart, he's got you. And I say to you this morning, the most exciting thing is to have an undivided heart before the Lord. Because you know what that means? It means your conscience is clear before him. When you come into His presence, you're not wondering about whether He's going to receive you or not. There's one thing you're asking for. There's one thing you're seeking. It is to dwell in His presence all the days of your life. My friend, a person like that knows what he's living for. When somebody asks you, what do you want out of life? You know there is one passion. My work comes around it. My family comes around it. My spare time comes around it. My every aspect of my life is driven in this pursuit of finding God. And I tell you, David said, there's nothing better. But this morning, this thing of seeking God's face determines the way we are to approach Him. And I want to unpack to you this morning something that God is burning on my heart. So even with these mumps this morning, I believe God is asking me to say this to you because He's saying it to me. And so the first thing is, in seeking God's face, This is the most awesome opportunity for you this morning to say, where's my heart before you, God? Because ultimately that's going to determine how I'm going to respond to this call. Because the second point about seeking God's face, it means it is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, most certainly, involving prayer. Seeking God's face is seeking God in prayer. I ask you this morning, Ridge, have you discovered prayer in your life? You see, you cannot seek God outside of prayer. You cannot seek God by merely doing things for Him or reading about Him. It comes through communing with Him. And I say, show me a man or woman who knows God, and I'll show you a man or woman of prayer. And prayer is this place where you bring all that you've learned, heard, and seen together before the God of heaven. And it is the place of pursuit of God. I'll put it to you this morning, by natural instinct, you and I as human beings want to talk to a creator, a higher being, when we're in trouble. We naturally, instinctively Go to this creator for help. We know how to do that. Whenever we're in trouble, God, would you help me? Ah. But i ask you this question this morning. Have you moved from prayer being a place of just asking for help from God to a place of pursuing God? There is a big difference. And you see, the wonderful thing about God having a face this morning is that he's not a pair of hands or feet. It means he has human qualities. And so when you come to him in prayer, he's got a mouth. He speaks. He's got facial features. In other words, it represents this symbolic thing of he tells you how he feels about what you're doing in your life. He has ears. He listens to the cries of our hearts. He has a face. There's a big difference, and I, I had this picture coming to mind a couple of months ago when we had our, our, our Thanksgiving service, when we all got together as four congregations at SBC. One of the ladies who's in the worship team, she's a mom, and I looked up at her in between songs, and she was sculling out her, her son, who was a few seats behind me. She was like, and there was this conversation happening between her and her young boy, and I looked behind me, as she was giving her Afrikaans Ah." Her boy was going... He's not going to do anything. Can I say to you this morning, God is not a book to be studied. He's not a code to be followed. He's not an academic course to be mastered. He has a face. Is that He loves to let you know whether He's happy or not with what you're doing In your life. And his face is something you have to seek after. This is not something you hope for. This is not something you wish for. This is something you do. And I was struck last year by a sermon by a guy called Artie Kendall. And he asked this question. He said, how long are you going to wait before you truly know God? And I resonated with what he said. It struck me cold because in my life I have realized that every season has its excuse for not doing it. At the 6 p.m. last week when I preached in the sermon, I looked at Christ and there were these bunch of youth and I said to them, you know what? I put off knowing God because I had to get good marks so I could get into university. Then I put off knowing God because I had to get good marks in university so I could get a good job. Then I put off knowing God because I had to work hard so I could get enough money so I could get married. Then I put off knowing God because getting married and suddenly you have to save to have kids in a house and whatever. Then I put off, I'm telling you, the risk is putting off God because until these kids leave home, they're all consuming. And the excuse is this. Every season has some space where you say, I'll defer, I'll delay because of what's in front of me. I tell you this morning, unless in your heart you set aside God and say, "No longer is a day going to go by, and unless, uh, unless I'm going to seek His face, unless you do it," excuse me, unless you seek His face today, you won't do it. It involves prayer. The third thing is, it is being resolved to seek His face, not His hands. There's a big difference. Essentially, it means it is releasing God to be himself to you. You see, what we love to do is when we seek God's hands, we have our own little agenda. We have our own little plan and mission. And what we say is, God, would you just basically rubber stamp and bless what I want to do? But how do you know if somebody approves of what you're doing or not? It's in their face. Not so. And seeking God's face, not his hands, is being more concerned about his approval of what you are doing in your life than simply asking him to bless it. It is a willingness not to manipulate him. You see, what we tend to do, and I've done it, and you know what I mean when I talk about this, is we tend to bargain with God, not so. I'll give you this if you give me that. Seeking his face is taking your eyes off his hands. It is letting God be sovereign in your life. And what I mean by God being sovereign is, it is saying that God is in control of everything and he doesn't ask our permission as to how he's going to exercise it. What it means is this, it is believing that getting his no is as good as his yes. Can you cope with that? Believing that his no is as good as his yes to you. It is believing that his timing is better than ours. And my friends, this morning, this way of living, it is an exciting but difficult way to live. Because ultimately, what David says in verse 14 is the way a person who seeks God's face postures himself. Don't you notice in the last verse of Psalm 27, David says... Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Why would he say a thing like that? Because seeking God's face is waiting for his approval. And that means you're not just running ahead and doing what you want to do. You're willing to say, God, I'm not moving further from this place until I know you're in it. And when you're waiting for God in this season or in this space, you're vulnerable. You want to manipulate. You want to try and knock open doors. You want to try and make your plans. You want to try and forge your path ahead of you. You want to get stuck in and try and force God's hand to do what you want. But seeking God's face is being willing to say, I'm waiting for you, Lord. What you are saying about my life and where I'm going is more important than what I want. Don't think this morning, because it is a good idea, God is in it. Don't think because it feels good, God is in it. The perfect picture of this is when David was on the run from Saul, and he had an opportunity from God to seal his future. Remember in the beginning of the sermon, I said David was on the run from this king Saul. who was trying to kill him, and they were hiding in caves, and ah... King Saul was exhausted from hating and chasing David, and he needed a rest. And so he goes into the cave, and unbeknownst to King Saul, who's hiding behind the rocks, but David himself and his men. And Saul falls asleep, and here is David's moment. And David's friends say, David, your stars have aligned, buddy. God has given Saul into your hands. This is the perfect moment. If ever there was a good idea to seal the future of David and try and push forward the work of God in David's life, it was this moment. And let me tell you, it would have felt so good for David to take out the man who was trying to kill him. Everything seemed so perfect for David. And then what David does is, in 1 Samuel 24, he slices a corner of Saul's robes, and the second he does that, his heart is struck. And the Holy Spirit says to David, touch not the Lord's anointed. In other words, he knew in the second he was going to do, God wasn't in it. That God's face was not in what David was doing. He was getting no approval from God. And although everything seemed like it was lining up and it was a great idea for David to Forge ahead in what God's purposes were for his life. In that moment, because David sought God's face, David knew it was a no. You see, seeking God's face is a willingness to face a frown of disapproval, not just a smile. Can I be honest this morning? The church today does not get a lot of help in this area. And it's my concern for you is that when you listen to the radio station or some of the popular books, the kind of God portrayed to you is a God with a ridiculous smile on His face, excusing and approving everything we want to do. And it comes down to an abuse of grace. It is saying that grace... Shields us from any disapproval from God. I say it does not. The way you know grace is at work in your life is Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14. How do you know the grace of God has appeared in your life? Bringing salvation for all people. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to buy us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. What you do with your body matters to God. What you do with your hands, your mouth, your money, your mind, your heart, it matters to Him. And seeking God's face is not being driven by our appetites, but by God's approval. That's the difference. Is that the kind of way you live? Because I put it to you this morning. Watch the space of a man or woman who is willing to live like this. Watch the church that is seeking the approval of God above their own appetites or the world's applause. Watch that person begin to be the man or woman God chooses to use. And I put it to you this morning that seeking God's face, not his hands, is the only place of security for you and me as the Christian. Why do I say this? Some of our problems here this morning is we're seeking God's hands, and the issue of that is you are basing the way God responds to you as the way of determining how much He loves you You see, when you seek God's hands, what you're really hoping for is Him coming through for you in a certain way. And when He doesn't, you feel rejected. That's how it works. And if your life is pursuing God's hands, I guarantee, ask anybody here who's been walking with God for a long period of time, it will lead to disappointment. It will lead to disillusionment. It will lead to a feeling of rejection. Because what you do is you put God's love on trial by looking for His hands. If you're looking for His hands, my friends, you're going to face a crisis in your walk because you're going to peg His love for you based on how He's dealing with you. And some of us here are wandering far from God because of disappointments. When you seek God's face, you become a Job. When you can say, Lord, if your hands give or take away, blessed be your name. Your faith will be unassailable. You'll reach a point in Job's life, in Job 13 verse 15, where he says, Lord, even if your hand takes away my own life, though he slay me, Yet, will I trust Him? Now be gracious to me this morning. I'm jealous for you. The rich has a special place in my heart, so I speak a bit more frankly with you than I do at Sterling, all right? I am worried that some of us are in and out all the time. We're one foot in, we're one foot out, because we only run to God when we're in trouble because we're seeking His hands. And then when he doesn't do what he wants us to do, we're out because he's not doing what we're asking him to. The frustration that you are experiencing in your life and the insecurity and the lack of groundedness in your faith is because you only know God by looking at his hands. That's not our heart for you. I'm asking this morning to look higher. Will you look at God's face? Because until you do, you're going to be all over the place. And we'll watch you come in and be zealous for God for a season, because through trouble you've come back in. That's not a bad thing. But unless you are called to look higher, my friend, you're going to be back where you are in a couple of months' time, some of us even sooner. A people of strength. Are people able to persevere? Are people able to bear up under difficult seasons and trust God and experience the joy of the Lord is our strength? Is a person or a people that can fix their eyes on the face of God and say, That's my purpose. Because in God's face, you can see He's still with you. Because in His face, that's where you see His approval, not His hands. And the fourth thing this morning is this, it starts with the heart, it is undoubtedly prayer, it is willingness to seek His face on His hands, but the fourth thing is, it is surely seeking His presence. Don't you think it's funny how when we need to show up personally to somebody's function, we say we need to show face, not say, that's what we say. And some of us don't want to go out and say, but we'll have to show face. I know some of you talk like that, Right? If you are seeking God's face, you are seeking God to show up in your life. And let me tell you, it is the most glorious thing that can happen to a person. David said in Psalm 16 verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. So when this God shows up, And the power of His Spirit makes a God who's seated in heaven come close and be seated in your heart. And your very senses are tingling with the presence of God. David says in that moment, his heart explodes. There's nothing better. And that's what he's saying in Psalm 27 verse 4. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's saying I want to be in your presence. And it is what Brother Lawrence called practicing the presence of God in his book. It is a maintaining a constant desire to be close to him. Can I ask you a question this morning as I wrap up the sermon with this final point? How long can you go without the presence of God in your life? How long can you go? The absence of God's presence and closeness to David was what terrified him. In so the very next verse of Psalm 27, verse 9, after David says, My heart says to you, your face I will seek. He says something very strange. He says, hide not your face from me. He just said, Lord, your face I'm going to seek. But he says, but do something for me as I seek it. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servants away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. What is he saying? The absence of God's presence in our lives is what the Bible says is when God hides his face. Does that terrify you? You see, something happened to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 33. When, David went up, when Moses went up onto the mountain for 40 days, the Israelites got impatient with Moses and said, you're taking too long. And what they decided to do was they're going to make a golden calf. And they said, Aaron, high priest, make this golden calf. We're going to worship this golden calf. And God got angry. And God said to Moses, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. You're going to do great things. You can have the promised land. You can go and do what I promised to Abraham, but my presence is not going to go with you. I, myself, am not going to go with you. And the people, when they heard this voice, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 4, says, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And Moses said to God, If you won't go with us, we're not going at all. Is that you? You know what I fear for us? Is that we have got our equipment, we've got our lovely building, we've got our teams, we're so functional. But do we ask ourselves the question, God, where is your presence? Because for Moses he said, we're not going and inheriting your promises without it. And I say to you this morning, Moses' reason is ours. It's because if we lose God's presence, we lose what makes us distinct in comparison to the rest of the world. If we lose God's presence, we've got nothing. We're a rotary, we're a counseling agency, we're a government NGO. Or a non-profit organization. We're just another club that meets and feels good as we gather together. But the mark that makes us different is that when people come to a Christian that is seeking God's face, they experience the presence of God in that person's life. Can I say it like this? If you pursue God's face, you will begin to be distinct to the people around you. Because you'll begin to learn that the presence of God doesn't adjust towards you. You have to adjust towards it. And the way you live affects how you experience God. And pursuing God's presence will make you a holy person... It's what the New Testament calls walking by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives us fellowship with God. It is being sensitive to when God tells us, I'm not happy. And the way he does it is, there's an instant tension, an instant moving away, a sense of loss of contact with God. How long can you go without the presence of God in your life? Because he'll begin to show you that the way you live matters. And you're going to have to adjust your relationships. The way you handle your money. The way you handle your time. The way you handle every aspect of your life if you're going to keep it. It's what the Bible calls the fragrance of Jesus. As I tell you, without sweating people will begin to experience the Spirit. My concern is, we work hard, many of us in this church, we serve well, it's commendable. But without the Spirit of God, all that people are going to smell around us is the sweat. We want them to experience the Spirit. And it is a byproduct of the way you posture your life before God. Don't you know the fruits, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what they'll experience. They will eat of that from your life. There are only two reasons. Why God removes his presence from our lives. The one is, some theologians call it the divine tease. God wants to know how far you'll go without him. He wants to know when he moves his face or hides his face. Will you run after him or will you just carry running on? Or the second is sin. In Genesis chapter 5 verse 14, Cain, after murdering his brother Abel, says to God, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. In Psalm 51, verse 10 to 11, when David slept with Bathsheba, his psalm of repentance is this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Ah, but cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Friends are returning to the Lord to seek his face is a returning to His presence. And a returning to His presence is a willingness to repent from any sin and asking God, give me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And like David, He'll do it for you. I put it to you, like myself, so a few of us have tasted what it means to see God's face. Some of us here have memories of it in our lives. There were seasons when God was so close to you. My friends, God is calling you back to that this morning. But for others, perhaps you've never experienced what it means to seek the face of God. I want to say to you this morning, you can do it right now. You don't have to have all A's in your report card. You don't have to know your Bible back to front. You don't even have to have a good track record. It's will you come? Will your heart answer the call this morning? Will you adjust to him? Will you seek Him? Will you seek His face? And He'll do it for you. He's not a God of empty promises. He's not a God that holds out an empty hand. He's a God who honors His word. And let me tell you, it will open the greatest adventure that your life could ever have tasted and seen. Better than that promotion you're looking for. Better than that wife you want to marry. Better than that partner you're unwilling to let go of because of it. It Might just mean you'll lose something in life. Whatever you forsake for him, you'll get back a thousand times more than what you let go of. My friend, I say this so confidently to you this morning. That if you will seek his face, you will be a full person. You will lack nothing. In his presence, you will find the joy you are looking for. And like David's, you will be in verse 5 of Psalm 27. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Because his heart will be full. Let's pray. Lord, this is what we're after. You're coming back, Lord, you're coming back. And I sense there's such a struggle in hearts this morning. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see the spirit of the living God. That what we forsake now for Christ will bring us eternal gain. No more mediocrity. No more lukewarmness. Lord, we're going to stand before the king. And we want to stand before him with a clear conscience and recognize his face when he comes. Because it's the face we sought after. Lord Jesus, we want to come before you as a church and say one thing we're after this morning. One thing we want to seek. That we might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. We want to gaze upon your beauty. We want to inquire of you in your temple. And Lord, we want to ask this morning that this word would minister to us. That, Lord, it would lead us into life. That in our double-mindedness, Lord, it will comfort us with clarity. That in our hearts this morning, but come afresh and say, Lord, we want you. You are the bread of life to us, Jesus. You are the water of life to us. And so I'm going to ask us to do something that's unusual. I don't normally do it. But uh, like Sterling last week, I sent that this is from the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you, if that's you this morning, and don't feel any pressure, please. This is before the Lord. Nobody's going to look down on you at all. This is a personal response. But if that's you this morning, and you want to say, Lord, this year, I want to seek your face. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just where you are, and I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, as I stand with my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, we want to seek your face. Lord, we want to say, we want to be courageous for you this year. And would you be tender to us, Lord? Lord, we want to come to you this morning and say, Lord, this year, if you delay in anything that we have asking you for, if you delay in the answer, Lord, it's okay. You're enough for us. You're what we want. You're the one we're trusting in. You're the one we're looking to. You're the delight of our souls. We want you. I pray for a restoration of that passion in our hearts, Lord. Some of us have grown dry like myself. I pray for the wonders of you to fill our hearts afresh. I pray for the intimacy of your spirit to fill us. It would be like face-to-face communion that, Lord, you'd bring us to such a place of fullness in you this year that you'd satisfy us, Lord. One thing we ask of you, one thing we seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to gaze upon your beauty and to inquire of you in the temple. Lord, would you do this for us? We're coming to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.